0: Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we ask that you would guide and direct our time together that we may be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, take your Bibles if you would and let's go again to the book of 2 John. I I think we have a pretty good chance of finishing this wonderful little book tonight. And um, let's just read through the entire book First John, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in, excuse me, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. ever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God speed is a partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. That is the entire book. If you have uh, the Bible on MP3 or CD or cassette tape or whatever, uh, you can play through uh, the entire book in about two and a half, three minutes. It it does not take long, uh, but there is a whole world of living in these uh, 13 short verses that are here. And just in case you're wondering, I do believe that 3rd John is actually shorter than 2nd John, though it has more verses, it has less words in the entire book. Um, But uh, that's just curiosity and uh, uh, not really important, but sometimes we wonder about those things. And so as we are looking here, we got through the introduction. And John is writing, and we'll just take the words for whom they are. He calls himself the elder. Uh, would we'll just offer the possible explanation that he may be the only living apostle at this time, and uh, he was certainly writing unto someone whom he knew, and who would know him as he addressed him. You know, addressed her by using that title for himself. And the lady to whom he was writing is well known in the churches. All they that have known the truth, this woman had a testimony. And we come down here uh, to the greeting. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father. And of course, God is the only place where we can have these things. Verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. As we have received a commandment from the Father. Now, one of the greatest gifts that we can give the next generation is to leave people that we have influenced, especially those of our own household, walking in the truth. I mean, when we go to preachers' meetings, and when I visit on campus, at Heartland, it's, it's uh, a wonderful thing. One of uh, He was Peter's roommate, uh, I think, the first year they were in school. They're graduating together, uh, and uh, his name is Samuel Waterloo. His father, John, and I attended Baptist Bible College together. In fact, we attended the same church. And um, it is interesting that now our children are in Bible College together. But I'll tell you what, there's an awful lot of kids in Bible college that are first generation. They are not coming out of homes. In fact, uh, Peter has, you know, he is a keeper of information, if you know Peter. And he said, I remember so-and-so, he he came for a one-year Bible certificate. Now... He's there for all four years and it was a preacher's son and the, he, he had a, did one of those deals with dad. Okay, I'll go to Heartland for one year and, and then I'll get on with life. Well, he got on with life and stayed at Heartland and now he's uh, preparing for the ministry and that's a, a good thing. And John is just making an acknowledgement here. He said, I have found of thy children. Uh, he said, I proved it. I've seen it. Uh, that they are walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. He says, we've received a commandment from God the Father. Now, just a moment. Who is the main teacher of how we ought to behave and, and walk in the church of Jesus Christ? I've answered the question, but... It's the Lord Jesus Christ. But John here says we've received a commandment from whom? From the Father. And the reason why I bring this up is because we live in a world where people are trying to cut your Bible up into little pieces. Let's go back to John 14 for just a minute. And, of course, this is the night in which Jesus was betrayed... And some of the most lovely verses, comforting verses in the Bible. He had just told Peter that you're going to deny me thrice before the the, um, the rooster crows in the morning. And then he says in verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus in verse 6 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Verse 8... Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. He said, can't we be just a little bit like Moses? Like the 70 elders that walked up with Moses on Mount Sinai and actually saw the God, the creator God of the universe sitting on his throne. How many of you remember that? And he said, Jesus, can we we be like that? Could we be like Moses where you put us in the cleft of the rock and let the Father walk by and take his hand off so that we could see his hinder portions? Now look at Jesus' answer here. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Now that's pretty blunt now, isn't it? If you ever meet anybody that wants to argue about who Jesus is, take them here. Jesus is not claiming to just be the Son of God. He is claiming to be God the Son. He is claiming to be the very God of the Bible. And we're going to get on to that. And if you'll remember... Uh, Back when we did our series on Hebrews, we started in chapter one, and every false cult, every false religion starts with a misunderstanding or a false understanding of who God is. Uh, I was joking, we were talking about football before the service, and I actually had a preacher tell me, he says, Do you know why there's a hole? in the roof of the Superdome in Dallas. And uh, I said, no, why? He said, so God can watch his team play. And I said, they do call him the prince of the power of the air now, don't they? The God of this world, little G, little O, little D. Uh, God doesn't care about football. God does not care about many of the things that we think are very important here. But I'll tell you what, he does care about what's going on right now. He does care about learning from his word. And uh, he has given a commandment through his son Jesus. And this is the trademark, this is the commandment of the early church. And he says that he rejoiced in that the children of this elect lady have walked in the truth. He found them walking present tense. And verse 5, he says, And now I beseech thee, lady, not, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Now, what did Jesus tell the disciples the night was he was betrayed? They shall know you are my disciples. Your love, one for another. If ye love me, what? Keep my commandments. If we read in First John chapter 5, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. And he's not going to skip over that. In verse 6 it says, and this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Now, we, we read these three verses, and here's what I get across my desk in the mail several times a week, it seems. Um, excuse me, we have a new program to help your church. Well, what? Did this passage just say? We don't have any new program. We have the commandment which was given to us in the beginning. If we could just work on that commandment, everything else would solve itself now, wouldn't it? And that commandment is that we should love one another. Now, what is love? Love is keeping His commandments. You know, one of the purposes of the church is to help each other keep his commandments. Is that not the best thing that can happen in your life? Now, how many of us have struggled with disobedience to God this week? Okay. And we come to church so we can be encouraged to keep struggling. Because as long as you're struggling, guess what you're doing? You're heading in the right direction. It's when you quit struggling. It's when you go with the flow, as they say. It's when you float in the current. It's when you stop swimming upstream. That's when you get carried places you don't want to go. You don't belong as a Christian. We have to keep in the battle. I mean... How I many of you get discouraged because of the things we do? As your pastor, I do. But you know what? When we come together, say, let's just keep serving God a little longer. Amen? We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I'll tell you what. It's going to be soon. And they, they sometimes accuse us, of Baptists, of killing our own wounded. Now, that's not what we do. But there's only one place you can go to get it fixed. That's back to Jesus. Amen. Don't skip church when you get into trouble. Come to church. I've even, uh, I've been asked many times, and and we're looking into starting, uh, uh, there are uh, several different uh, recovery programs, people that have had problems with alcohol and drugs and gambling and these things, addiction programs, and a preacher there not far from Oklahoma City has really developed what I believe the best thing in print and, and uh, we're we're hoping in the next year or two to uh, get enough other things done that we can start devoting some serious time in that direction uh, but it, it takes a lot of time it, it's not something that uh, you can just put together but the best recovery program there is, is Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night, discipleship. I'm sorry, dinner is fighting back. But the, uh, the greatest recovery program there is, is to be in the church of God. The greatest, uh, oh, boy, oh boy, my brain is just not working either, a support group. You know, that thing has been stolen by the psychiatrists and psychologists. And, of course, the people that stole it, they do perverse things with it. You know, the modern definition of a support group is you all sit in a circle and curse at each other and you feel better when you're done. Just buy a wrap tape and you can just, I mean, pay the guy. He'll curse at you all all day long. I, I, I cannot understand that. When I was growing up, if somebody cursed at you, it was time for a fist fight. Uh, Accepting the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Uh, But now they buy music. They actually pay money and they put it on. And then they're so ignorant that they turn it up loud so other people can know you're dumb enough to pay money for somebody to cuss at you. I just don't understand that. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not connected with my time, uh, nor do I have any intention of ever being. Amen. Why people do that, I don't know. But what we want to do here is we want to encourage you not to engage in aberrant behavior. Amen? We want to encourage you to leave those things behind. We want to love one another because this is what God said. But loving one another is helping each other be obedient To the commandments of Christ. That's love. Is that not the best thing that you can accomplish in a life? The greatest thing, if you have children, the greatest thing you can accomplish is teaching them and helping them to want to obey Christ. How many adults could you give testimonies of sorrow that's been caused in your life by disregard? Don't you wish someone had been able to break through that shell and get the gospel in. But God is into repairing lives. That's what love's all about. And that's what this passage is all about. And it says here in verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not, that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now, it is kind of strange today that someone would get up and say, I don't believe Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Do you know why people don't use that, those, that language today? Because it's found right here in the Bible. People were using it in John's day. Today, we cover it up. We we candy coat it. Now, when we're talking about Jesus Christ, the word Jesus means Savior. Salvation is of God. Christ means the chosen one, the anointed one. It is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. They are one in the same word. Uh, every time you hear those goofy commercials where they say, oh, the chosen one, that's a blasphemy against Jesus Christ. Because when you refer to anyone or anything as the chosen one, that is a title of deity. That's what all these gurus that are in India, and, and there are many, many of them, uh, you know, the, the big thing is... you. you The Beatles are now on iTunes. I just have to choke that one back. Uh, I don't care. Uh, But their God was one of those gurus in India. They worshipped him. They sang their songs. When they sang My Sweet Lord, they were not singing it to Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. They were singing it to the Jesus of Hare Krishna, which was one of the gurus and and one of the religions that they worshipped. When we say Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, what we're saying is the Savior, the chosen one of God, has come. And what did Jesus repeatedly refer to? He said, I have come to finish the works that my Father, to work the works that my Father gave me to do. The three greatest words in history, one word in the Hebrew, it is finished. What is finished? Number one, the work of salvation. When someone denies that all that is needed for salvation has not been accomplished, that there's still something for you to do, they are fulfilling this verse and saying Jesus Christ is not come in the flesh. Now, the reason why we do believe that is because we come down here to verse 9, and it says, "He He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. The doctrine of Christ is that Jesus came to save sinners, Paul said, of whom I am chief. What is the first earmark of false religion? An alternate method of salvation. All false religion offers some other way than through the blood of Jesus Christ to be saved. These are the deceivers. These are the Antichrist. When the Antichrist comes in the book of Revelation, he is going to offer himself as the Savior of the world, and all of those that have rejected the gospel are going to believe him. Now, when someone argues about how you are saved. Write them down. They are a deceiver. They are an antichrist. Jesus said, it is finished. So when the priest looks at you and kindly says, you must finish the work that Jesus did by offering his shed blood again in partaking of the mass, antichrist. When the friendly Mormon shows up and says, We have come to give you the final revelation of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? It is finished. We look in the book of Revelation. He says, anyone that takes away from the words of this book is going to be taken out of the New Jerusalem. They're losing their salvation. And yet, what do we have going on today in scholarly circles, in Bible colleges, in in theological books and treatises? They want to take words out of the Word of God. That's a scary thought. And the ones that don't want to take words out, they want to add words. And then we got another really confused group. They want to do both. Uh, They want to take out all the references to Jesus Christ and his deity and his blood, but they want to add the Apocrypha and the Epistle of Barnabas and the Pseudepigrapha and all of these false writings that no one has ever believed had anything to do with the truth. Jesus told us all we need to go to heaven was completed That's what it means when Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Everything you need, you have. And by the way, how many times do we hear, well, Sung Young Moon did not take it upon himself to fix what Jesus failed at doing. Jesus came to him three different times and begged him. And finally, he gave in and said he would do what Jesus asked him to do. Now, Sung Young Moon never said Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. Or did he? You see, Sung Young Moon's Jesus is not... The Savior of the world, as the Bible says he is. Sung Young Moon's Jesus is not the Christ, because Sung Young Moon is. God came to him and said, listen, I messed up. I didn't quite get it done right the first time, but if you'll fix things, I'll let you. And he can't even do his own taxes straight. Uh, let, let me tell you something. God's got a lot better taste than that. Amen. Uh, When he talked about picking the one to do his work, Jesus Christ finished the work. So, whenever you hear someone talking about, well, you know the church has gotten really messed up, and God sent me to straighten it out, i.e., Martin Luther i.e. John Calvin in the Reformed Church, Uh, i.e. Alexander Campbell in the Church of Christ. Uh, There's a new twist to this, and it's been around for, for several hundred years. You see, our church is so messed up, and yet it still exists. And that's proof that it's Jesus' church. That was actually said by a pope one time. The evil that is within the Catholic Church proves that it's truly Jesus' church because no church other than Jesus' church could absorb this much evil and still do this much good. You know, you know just go see your doctor, get your meds adjusted. Uh, there's, there's some problems with logic there. there there's some real issues when Jesus, If Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, the work of salvation is finished. There's nothing left for you to do but to believe on Him. Amen? If Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, the Word of God is complete, there's no need for you to mess with it. And by the way, He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so when I get all of these papers telling me how the church is messed up, and if you'll just buy our new program, we'll straighten it out and allow your church to reach the world. I know I'm dealing with a deceiver and possibly even an antichrist. Now, that's pretty harsh language, and that's going to make a whole lot of people down at American Bible Society all upset, and uh, the World Council of Churches and... uh, all of these different things. But look at verse 8. It says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. It says, look to yourself. How many of you remember when you were a little younger, you got ready to go somewhere and your mother or your father said, look at you. You go look in a mirror. Now, it my only parents that ever said that. In fact, if you come early, you'll usually hear me saying that to one of my kids. Well, Dad, what's wrong? No, you go look in the mirror and get it fixed. I want you to be able to look in the mirror and see what's wrong and see what to do to rectify the situation. Now, doesn't that sound like good parenting? What's John saying? He says, look at yourselves. Because you can lose your rewards. You can't lose your salvation if you have the true salvation. Amen? But you can lose everything else. In fact, if we only knew how close we have come so many times in our life to just sit there looking over the edge, it's a scary thought. Look. To your, it doesn't say, look to your friend, look to your brother, look to your sister, look to your neighbor. It says, look to yourselves. Now, notice the pronoun that is used here. That we. Now, wait a minute. We includes me, now doesn't it? There was a connection here. There was an intimacy here. There were things that had been wrought, had been worked together. There are things that were suffered for together. There were things that were striven and an effort was put forth together to obtain these things. And John is saying, look to yourselves because I don't want to lose what I've put into your life. I don't want you to lose what we have worked together for. And I don't know any pastor whose heart would not echo those words as he looks out over the congregation which he pastors. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Sometimes the only thing that keeps a person from falling over the edge is a kind word. It's just good to see you tonight. We need to love one another. The writer of Hebrews said to provoke one another unto good works. To put each other in a position where you have to respond. Now when we think of the word provoke we normally think of provoke to anger, do we not? And that is when someone puts you into a position where you feel like you have no other alternative but to respond in anger. Isn't that correct? But it says provoke one another to good works. Now, I know a preacher that took this verse, I believe, a little bit to an extreme. He said, but I, I believe this. He said, I go over and visit people on Saturday night late. He said, and I just walk up beside the living room window and stick my head in and say, hey, the preacher's here. What are you watching on TV? I said, brother, that'll get you shot where I come from. And by the way, it might get you arrested hanging off a fire escape somewhere <laughs> trying to get into somebody's apartment window. But I think that's a little extreme, just, just a hair there. But, uh, and don't worry, I, I'm not going to try that, all right? <laughs> but I am going to warn you that we need to look to ourselves. We need to encourage one another that we lose not the things that we've wrought for. God's done some great things at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And you know what? We need some very serious prayer that God will keep doing great things at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Amen? I don't want the building to be the only miracle on 35th Street, and it's not. But I I want to see God do some things and we look here in verse 9, here's how you can tell, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Now, the issue that was being spoken of here was from the very earliest times, people who called themselves Christians were trying to figure out whether Jesus was truly God in the flesh or not. And they had many different ways of arguing about this. In fact, if you want to know where the beginnings of the Jehovah's Witness cult, it wasn't necessarily with Judge Russell in the 1890s and 19, through the 1920s and the founding of that movement. He was just copying errors that were being dealt with here in the book of 2 John by saying that Jesus was not fully... The Son of God. They had adoptionism, that Jesus was born as a normal human being, and that God picked him, and when he went to the cross, he was adopted and became deity for the few hours that he was on the cross, and then the Holy Spirit left him, and he died like a normal man, and all of those things. And I mean, you just where in the world do people get this? Well, here's where they get it. It's when you try to make an infinite God fit within the finite limitations of the human mind. You can't do it, my friend. God is bigger than you are. Amen. If you can live in sin, that's what it's talking about, abideth not. If you can live not in the doctrine of Christ, if the church is not important to you, if purity is not important to you, if the Word of God is not important to you, I can't tell you how many people over the years have come through and they said, you make too big of a deal about the Bible. Well, wait a minute, that is the doctrine of Christ. He is the living Word. This book is the written Word. We're going to make a big deal about that because when you start chopping up your Word of God, when you start denying the, the authority of the Word of God, you're joining the ranks of the deceivers and of the Antichrist. Now, that's harsh words. But I'll tell you, it's got an easy solution. Just get a hold of this book called The Bible. How many of you remember Michael Landon, A Little House on the Prairie, I mean, he did a lot to try to make good television, if there ever was such a thing. But when it was talking about his own personal salvation, he said, just telling your sins to God is not enough. He said, you've got to confess to other people, and you've got to do acts that humiliate yourself in front of other people so that you can be good enough to please God. That's a deceiver. Jesus did not come in the flesh because I have to finish the work that He started. Do you see how connected that is? And even this whole purpose-driven Christianity lies right in here because the Word of God is not so important. It's what's in you. It's that you need to be totally self-actualized. You need to realize who your inner you Let me tell you what your inner you is. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Stay away from the inner you. Get close to Jesus. He'll take care of the inner you. Amen? And it'll be a relief when he does. If you do not have the doctrine of Christ, you do not have God. If you do not... If you have Christ, you have both... God the Father and God the Son. You cannot deny either one. And it says here, if you have God the Father, I put in our notes, the Jewish faith, you'll have God the Son, the New Testament faith. But in reality, it's only one faith in the God of the Bible. Amen. Now, it says here, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Now, let's just be very plain Uh, When the Jehovah's Witness knocks at your door, don't invite them inside and try to ambush them with the Bible. Don't invite them inside. Don't simply try to out-argue those of false doctrine. If they don't bring this thing, don't invite them in. Don't fellowship. Hey, I am not saying that all Jehovah's Witnesses are rotten, evil people. I know some Baptists that are rotten, evil people. Uh, uh, The simple truth of the matter is we base our fellowship on doctrine. That's the thing I love about going to the meetings at Heartland is I don't have to worry about someone there who's trying to get me to put a drum set on my platform, trying to get me to adopt some new marketing method to reach people. I'm working with pastors who just want to love the Word of God and to love God's people. Boy, that makes fellowship simple, doesn't it? If you want good friends, make them right here. Take time. Spend time with people. You'll get to know them. And you'll find out they're just as weird as... I mean, they're just as nice as you are. Amen? I mean, you ever stop and think about all of the things that goes on in the lives of everyone here? And I mean, God has a sense of humor, does he not? He has put us together. And sometimes I I feel like I need to sit down and write the story And uh, I keep trying to figure out some way, something to call it. You used to want to call it in the out because every time everybody's coming out, that's where I'm going in. But I I think we ought to call it beyond ridiculous. I mean, 12 kids in New York City, isn't that beyond ridiculous? A $700,000 building for at that time was a 40-member church. Isn't that ridiculous? I mean, isn't it absolutely absurd that our church, after paying for the building in the last 15 years, has given over $600,000 back to missions? That is absurd. But it's Bible. Realize your weirdness and enjoy it. Amen? Amen. It's okay. That's what's being spoken about here. We don't have to reach out to people who disagree with us to have fellowship. Work on loving the people you agree with. Amen. And don't go around just saying, God bless. You know who started that? Bill Clinton. I don't want him saying God bless because his God ain't my God. Amen? Don't just say God bless because you don't know who you're saying God bless you to. And this is what it's saying. If you ask God to bless a wicked man, God's going to hold you responsible for the things he does. That's what this is talking about here. Be careful who you say God bless you to. I mean, there's lots of times where people say, Oh, God bless. Yeah, we'll see you later. Have a nice day. And they look at me kind of funny, but I, I don't know you. I ain't saying God bless you because I don't know what you're doing. And I like what Brother Clayton says. He said, Don't pray God bless the Claytons. There's some Claytons out there that don't need blessing. Amen. Don't pray, God bless the missionaries. Put some names there. Pray specifically. I'm going to have enough to answer for. I don't want to have to answer for somebody else's. Amen? And yes, how many of you have heard about the flap of the new governor of Alabama? In his uh, inaugural speech, said if... You do not know Jesus as your personal Savior. You do not have the same relationship with me that someone who does. So boy, that's good preaching. But he got in a lot of trouble for that. But was what he said true? It's absolute. And then he said, my wish is for everybody to get saved. So, man, that takes a lot of guts for a governor. We need to pray for that guy because everybody and the devil included are going to be after him because he's actually speaking the truth and I couldn't even tell you his name I just glanced through the article but uh, and they had this picture of him there just looking just like he was ready to eat you for breakfast and yet the message was a message of love was it not and so Here's what he's saying. We don't have to accept people who teach false doctrine. We're not here just to get along. We're here to serve God. And we'll find that there are plenty of people that God has. What did he tell Elijah when he said, I'm the only one left. There's nobody but me. He said, I got 7,000 men. 7,000 men in Israel that have not bowed, bowed the knee to Baal. God's got His men left everywhere we go. You keep serving God and you'll run into Him. Amen? Last two verses. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you And speak face to face that our joy may be full. Now, I know I'll be accused of Hobby horsing here and getting back to my favorite subject, which is the church. But where are we supposed to greet one another face to face and have fellowship together that our joy may be full if it's not in the church of Jesus Christ? Amen? I mean, am I the only one that sees the church there? That's where it's supposed to be. And the writing, you read uh, Paul in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says that the laws of God are not to only be written with pen and ink, but they're to be written with the Spirit of God and the fleshy tables of our heart. Do you know how you write God's Word in someone's heart? By going back and encouraging them to serve the Lord with you. Amen? He said, I got some writing to do, but it's not with paper and ink. I got to do it face to face. And he said, By the way, your nephews and nieces greet you. I mean, that's the children of thy elect sister would be nephews and nieces. And so I've always wondered if that wasn't somehow John's wife and he was writing to her sister. But again, that is just pure imagination. So don't quote me on that. It has nothing to do. We have no grounding in the Bible at all. We just know that he was writing to a, a lady who had grown children who were living on their own, who had a good testimony throughout the church. Wherever John was writing from, there were nieces and nephews. or There were the children of this lady's sister there. And he said, they send you greetings. You know what the most fun thing about being a Christian is? Wherever I go, I meet people that love the same Lord. And it's just like being family. In fact, I get along better with them than I do some of my family members. How about you? I mean, there's a bond that's there. Now, don't get excited. We're not all. Children of God. You have to be saved to be a child of God. And we're not all members of some big, erythrial, invisible church that goes everywhere. But I do have a relationship. And I do have the same heart with someone who wants to serve God in El Paso, Texas. We gave Brother Serrano there uh, an offering to help him with his ministry. We gave many of those other preachers. Guess what? When I see them at the Heartland meeting or somewhere else, Brother Montoro, can I shake your hand? Well, your gift has gone before to encourage them to serve the Lord. And by the way, that's what love is. And we serve the Lord together. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing more fun. Nothing that brings more joy. I remember we gave a special offering to Brother Byron Sanders. He's in the last stages of getting his church 100% self supporting. They've got their own building, they've just got to file papers at the building department. Uh, We wouldn't know anything about that. Uh, By the way, we're supposed to get our plans Friday or Saturday of this week. And and then hopefully in in, uh, the next week or so, we'll be moving forward in filing our plans and working with the baptistry and all that. The Lord's still moving. Amen? But we want to be an encouragement. And that relationship is there, and we don't downplay it. But... You know where my responsibility is? Right here. In the local church I'm a member of. But as I'm responsible here, you know what? I'm going to find myself holding hands with preachers and ministers and godly people all around the world because we serve the same Jesus. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this wonderful little book. And Lord, we only talk about its size, not its importance, because there's no, no conditioning the importance of Your words. Lord, we ask that You would encourage us to just keep serving You and loving You. Lord, that You would use us to love other people right here in this auditorium and encourage and help them. We ask You to do Your work, Lord that we may bring praise to your name. We'll just keep our heads bowed and we'll finish that prayer. Maybe you'd like to add some of your own to it. And uh, yeah, we'll have Carolina just give us a verse of a hymn. If you'd like to pray in your seat or slip out either one, in just a few moments we'll pray together and be dismissed. But.